expounds on that. It says in James 5, verse 19 through 20, James 5, 19 through 20, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him. So here James is saying, you take a friend, and you see a friend of yours make a mistake, and you go to that person and you help them make that change. So you convert him. Let him know that he which converts the sinner from an error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. You know, that's sometimes hard to do, isn't it, as a human being? It's hard to cover a sin. It's it's a lot easier to look out there and say, well, I'm pretty good. I've done a lot of good things in my life. I help a lot of people. But this person over here, look what they've done. Look how they respond. And so you tell everybody you know. Look at that person. Basically, because you don't want them to look at you. Hey, I'm, I'm a bad guy. <laughs> no, you want to say, I'm really the good guy. I was listening to a sermon that Daryl did, uh, I believe back in ni- uh, 2000, 2001, on Pride. It's a really good sermon. I sat there and had to eat a lot of crow, I think, as I listened to it. But that's the problem with with humanity. We want to be friends with one another, but when it cuts down to uh, who's guilty, you or me, are you going to deliver your friend up? You know, will you deliver your friend to the wolves, (laughs) as they say? No. A friend will eat his words. A friend will take the blame. A friend will find a friend who's made a mistake and try to show them the right way and then cover it, hide it. Don't make it known to the whole community, to everybody you come in contact with. Again, in Galatians, Paul makes this same point. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault. So, we're human. So we make mistakes. Whether, whatever it is we do, we walk this path of life, we're apt to make a mistake with our life, no matter what it is. And here Paul is saying, if you're overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Help them back to the right side. You know, the Star Wars, you got the dark side and the, and the white light side. You help them back from this predicament that they might have got themselves in by a mistake. Because it's easy to make a mistake. I find that very easy for me to do. <laughs> it's easy to get on people's nerves or cause somebody to fall make a fault or whatever. But in meekness, like Moses, like we heard, Moses in meekness helped the people. I was thinking on that. Like Gordon was speaking on, Moses had all these people coming up to him, you know, millions of people. I think of our pastor was only about 
60 people <laughs> and how he can deal with that? What did Moses do? Millions of people coming up with all kinds of petty deals where if they would have followed the direction of Paul here and they would have helped them over their, each other over the problem, they wouldn't have to go on to Moses. The same way here. If we help each other, maybe we won't have to go to Daryl or to Gordon or to somebody else. We can solve the problems ourselves. Because he goes on, Paul says, he recognizes being human. He says, I recognize that we're human. He says, consider yourself. You see, we can look out there and see somebody else make a mistake and not consider ourselves the way we act and we respond because he said, consider yourself lest you also be tempted because you are human. You do make mistakes. You do walk that same human path. So consider yourself lest you wind up doing the same thing. Years and years ago back in Houston, I remember a young woman, the wife of a very close friend of mine, driving her car and she drove without oil. Boy, did I condemn on her. You know, you never drive your car without oil. It blows the car up. About three months later, I drove my car without oil in it. It blew my engine up too. So you have to be very careful uh, that you can make the same mistakes. Now, she was probably, like most women, don't understand you've got to watch all these lights, you know, and then when something goes wrong, you check it out real quick. But as a man, you know, who works on vehicles all the time, you should know better, don't you? But, you know, I did the same thing. So Paul said, you know, you can make the same mistakes. So consider yourself that you make that same mistake and bear you. So here Paul goes on and says, bear you one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. What, what's that law? Love your neighbor as yourself? That's the law Christ gave to us. Love God first. Love Him. Put Him first and foremost in your life. That has to be the focus of your attention. But then love your neighbor as yourself. So if you are showing yourself friendly, then you will love your neighbor as yourself. You certainly wouldn't want to go out there and hit your hand with a hammer, because it would hurt. But would you do that to your friend? Something to think about. Luke, and here Christ, saying basically the same thing. Here Luke 22, verse 31. Emmanuel speaking to Simon Peter, said, Behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Can we look at a brother or sister making a dis the wrong decision, walking the wrong path? That's what, of course, we understand Christ had this great perception. He could, he could look at people. He, he evaluated them. He... he understood who they were. He said, look, I see Satan wants to take you. What about one of us? You think Satan's not aware of each one of you? Satan knows each one of us individually. 
But like Job, God's pretty well protected us. I, I thought that this past weekend, when, or this uh, Sunday and Monday, when I was down with my daughter, and how blessed my wife and I are. Eight children, 20-some grandchildren, four great-grandchildren, you know. We've been blessed. Nobody has really had major problems. And my youngest daughter calls this morning and tells about a little, I think it was a four-year-old, was on a skateboard on her belly, going down the driveway. A car came along and ran over her. And I think, am I blessed? She better believe it. God has blessed us. And Satan would like to get a hold of you, and who knows? If we slip up, if we make mistakes, if we don't help a brother or sister, you think Satan wouldn't be there to try to shore up his side of the thing? So Christ says, Satan wanted to sift you, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. That's what we need to do, doesn't don't we? If we are going to have friends and a friend will love a friend forever. Christ calls us his friends. That means he's going to love us forever. There is no end to his love. So if Satan tried to get Simon Peter, but Christ prayed for him that his faith fail not, maybe we need to do that too. That's one way to cover the sin is get on our knees and pray for those people that they can see the right direction and that they will turn back. And whatever the situation is, that's what we really need to desire to do. And when you are converted, you know, here Christ, Emmanuel, adds a little more, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Strengthen the people that I give to you to work with. So Christ knew also that a friend is one who loves at all times, and a friend is one who sticks closer than his brother. Do you have a friend that that's, you can say is really closer than a brother? Sometimes I know it's hard. If you ever have a real close friend and they should die. It's hard to recapture a friend, a close, close friend. And there are those that have had close friends. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9, tells us two are better than one. Two people. You know, you go out to the woods by yourself without a gun and there's bears around, wouldn't it be better to have two of you there and one of them carrying a gun? <laughs> or a lion come down? Or a robber? So two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor because they can work together. So friends who can work together accomplish a lot more than one person by themselves. And John... Chapter 15, verse 8. You go there, John 15. John 15, verse 8. 
Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. Christ says he's our friend. He loves us. He tells us to continue in his love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his I kept my Father's command and abide in His love. We are to stay close to Christ. Stay close to the Father. This kind of love that God has for us is the example of friendship. That He gave His life for humanity. Gave His life specifically for each one of us, but He gave it for those that we might think ought not to have eternal life for them, whether it be Adolf Hitler or uh, our president or what's going on over there in the Middle East right now and wars and fightings. You know, Christ died for everybody. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Are we ready to lay down our life for our friends? Or is there someone that we call a friend, but maybe they're not really a true friend? If they're a true friend, like it said there in Proverbs, a true friend is loved forever. You would lay down your life. I had a fellow ask me one time, not too long ago, well, I lay my life down for this other minister in another organization. And you know, I can say out front, sure I would. I know the person. I know him. And I would lay my life down. But I've never been in that position, and neither have you. We can say that pretty easy, can't we? Oh, yeah. No problem, man. I'd, I'd do it on a, on a heartbeat until you get in that position. And then it's a different story. Then it will depend on whether you are a true friend or not. We know the stories of many of the men that have been in the battles and the men that gave their life to protect their friends as opposed to the one that says, yes, I will, but went the other way. So do you have a true friend? So let's look at a few points for a true friend or friendship. A few points that will help us work toward being the one who would lay down his life for his friends. The first point is a true friend will desire what is best for the other person. He desires what's best. He puts the other person first. You want to have them be your friend, so, you know, you want to have friends, you have to become friendly, you have to be ready to put them first. What is the best for that person? And if it's just a casual acquaintance, you probably won't put as much effort out. If it's a, a friend at work, 
you probably will to a point if it got down to whether it's your job or their job, you would probably let it be their job. I mean, that's the standard flow of human nature. I'd rather have you out of work than me out of work, especially when I've got a family, or I've got all these things I'd like to keep. Is that the best interest for that person? No. Are they a true friend? They're an acquaintance. They're a work friend. So a true friend will desire what's best. Look at 1 Samuel 23. This is an instance showing Jonathan, the son of Saul, king of Israel, and his relationship with David, who was to be king. Now, Jonathan was in the line of the kingship, wasn't he? He was son to the king. And as things would go, when the father died, the older son took the job. He was to be the one to be the next king. Here in 1 Samuel 23, verse 16, And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the woods to strengthen his hand in God. Because Saul wanted to kill David. David was not Saul's friend. Even David was a friend. Or Saul, to, to Saul, David was an enemy. And David, uh, Saul had been trying to kill David time and time again. And so David was probably a little bit discouraged. And, and you know, I think I'd be that way, wouldn't you? If somebody was throwing daggers at you, or undercutting you, or... You know, we can throw daggers of our words. I think there's a proverb that says that, that your words are like a sharp dagger that really cuts clean to the bone. So David was discouraged. And Jonathan went to him to strengthen his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be there. I'm going to help you. I'm your friend. And you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto you. Jonathan realized that he wasn't going to be the king. David was going to be the next king. Now there's a friend who was willing to say, you're right. I'm going to give up the job that's should be mine. I should be the one to be the next king. But no, I'm going to back you because I know you're to be the next king. And that's also Saul, my father, knows it. So Saul knew it too. That's why he wanted to get rid of him. He didn't want the competition. And they too made a covenant between them uh, before the Lord and David abode in the woods, and Jonathan went to his house. Jonathan loved David. It was a, a love that was beyond the love of a man for a woman. He was ready to give his life for that friend. That's the kind of friends that we need to be to other people. We need to be having those kind of friends for us. A good example 
of finding the best interest for your friend. Jonathan found that interest in Romans 16. Romans 16. Paul relating friendship and those that are real true friends. Romans 16, verse 3. <clears throat> Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Emmanuel the Christ, who have for my life laid down their own necks. They were putting themselves in position to protect David. I mean, uh, Paul, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So Paul recognized the love, the friendship that Priscilla and Aquila had, how much they were ready to put their life out. You know, it's easy sometimes to see somebody make a mistake, whether it be a minister or any other any other person, any one of us. We're all human. We all make mistakes. We're nobody better than the other. Nobody's better than the other person. But sometimes we think we're better. And so would you then uh, could you then say, Hey, I would lay down my life for that person? Yeah, we could say that. Like I told that person on the phone. Yeah, I think I could. At this point in time, I know I would. Here, Priscilla and Aquila laid their life down. They stood in that gap to protect the church and to protect Paul. So the best interest for Paul at that time was what these people did, just like with Jonathan. Second point, a true friend will have sympathy or empathy for his friend. Sympathy because you see them sick, you see them hurting, and empathy because you know what they need. Look at Job chapter 2. Here's a case where Job's three friends comes to Job. Job chapter 2, verse 11. And now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, it was known what happened to Job. They knew he lost everything, his family, his livelihood, everything, his home, everything that Job had was literally taken away from him. They heard about that. So they had empathy for him. They heard how he had boils all over his body. They didn't see it yet. They just heard all this that came to him. They came, everyone from his own place, and they had made, for they had made an appointment they had agreed, their three friends agreed to a time that they would come to see Job and mourn with him to comfort him. Well, they, they loved Job. These were true friends. I've seen 
one person here dying, two people dying here, and I've seen friends come and sit with that person. I've seen friends stay there and give their life to help them through the trial they were in. And it's sometimes difficult. And when they had lifted their eyes afar off and knew him not, he was so covered with boils and hurting so bad, they didn't recognize the man, and yet they knew this was him. And they lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. And so they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. That is some friendship. And willing to go out to a brother or a sister, and here this was a brother, and sit there for seven days. They fasted seven days and seven nights for this friend because they recognized the situation that he was in. Can we see the situation each other's in? Or do we push the envelope, maybe? Here, they loved their friends so much that they sat there in sympathy and they tried to encourage him. You read through the whole rest of the book. They tried to encourage him. But it must have been a sight. Do we have that kind of compassion and love for our friends? Can we say in our heart, in our mind, in our actions, that I would give that up? Well, I know I've seen those out here on this property do that very same thing for several people here that have died. They go out there and they spend the time with them and it's, it's not an easy job. Sometimes you're, you're, some people can't handle that. It's like being a nurse. Some people could never be a nurse. Some people could never be a doctor. I can't even be a butcher. <laughs> I don't like to cut up animals, you know. But here, these men love their friends so much, it took them seven days to, to, to fast and pray for their friends. The point three, then, is compassion. Well, these three men, don't you think they had a little bit of compassion? Compassion for a brother? Compassion for somebody really hurting? I know of those that have problems with their back. I can have compassion for somebody who has back problems. I've been in that category. I've been to the point where I couldn't eat had sit up for five minutes and the pain was so great. So when I see somebody with back problems, I can have compassion for that person. I know what you're going through. It's not an easy job. It's something that you really have to struggle with. And relying on God for your help, where the world, they'll run to a doctor and they'll do whatever they have to do. But I know that when you trust in God and you have back pains, 
it makes it difficult to pray, difficult to read and study. It's just difficult. Same thing with a hurt shoulder. I know there's people that have hurt shoulders, even here right now. And I've been in that category too, so I can have compassion. I hurt my shoulder first time working at NASA. And they wanted to give me a shot in the shoulder, and I told the doctor, she's not shooting my shoulder. It already hurts enough. Probably wanted to give me a cortisone shot, but I wasn't taking it. I went and was anointed and got over it. Years later, running after the bobcat that I've got sitting out here, tripped at a full run on my right shoulder. And I got up and ran after the thing, and I only had one hand that seemed to work. So when somebody tells me they got problems with their shoulders, I understand that. I know what it's like. I've been down that road too. And it's not fun. Because if you're right-handed, you know, it's hard. It's hard to write. It's hard to... I got on that forklift and I'm trying to steer it. And I had to prop my arm up on something where I could work the lever so I could steer this thing. So I know what it's like. I know how badly it hurts. So yes, you can have compassion. And think about that. Can you have compassion? Look at your life. You ever had broken ribs? Somebody has a broken rib? I'll tell you what. I have a lot of compassion on them. I've had three broken ribs. And the next day, I went to the Feast of Tabernacles. You know what that's like? You can't laugh. You can't smile. You can't cry. And you can't let anybody hug you. <laughs> because that's, then you know it. So, look at your life. Can you have compassion on somebody else? Maybe they don't think like you think. We, we all we have got different backgrounds. Some are better in other things than others. You know, I've got a background in electronics and beekeeping. I'm not a back, good background in building, you know, being a carpenter or stuff, even though I've worked in that field for a little bit. So, if I need something done, I can have compassion for a good carpenter because I know some of the pitfalls. That's where I broke my ribs trying to be a carpenter. <laughs> so I don't want to be a carpenter. I don't want to fall off ladders. Matthew 25. Christ speaking and saying, for I was, and talking about friendship and having compassion, he said, for I was hungry. And, I, and you gave me meat. And I was thirsty and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger and you took me in. Well, we know what the disciples had to say. Well, sure. If, if I knew, and, and I really loved this person, I knew they were hungry and they were, they were uh, hurt or they needed a place to stay. Oh, they're my friend. I'm going to give it to them. So here Christ brought that out to the disciples. Verse 44 then. Then shall they say to also unto him, saying, Lord, when saw we you hungry? So, you know, I would. I'd help you. But when did I see you hungry? Or 
a stranger, or you were thirsty, or you were naked, or you were sick, or you were in prison. When did I see that? Can we say that and look at each other and say, yeah, I'll take care of you, but when did I see that happen with you? Well, Christ pointed out, Then shall he answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, insomuch as you did it not, that you did not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. So if we don't look at somebody else, take them as a friend, and give our life for them, then we won't do it for Christ. He's just saying, You say you will do it for me. Maybe we say we do it for our pastor. Well, because he's the pastor, you know, and, 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 and I'll help him out any time. But what about somebody else? Maybe he's the, the lowest one out that we can think of around. Would you do it for him? Christ said, if you won't help the least, and who we determine in our minds to be the least, then we won't do it for Christ. So when we say we will give our life for Christ, will we give our life for some person? And it's a determination that you make in your mind that this is the least, this is the lowest person around. And if that's the case, then you won't do it for Christ. You won't do it for somebody else. Fourth point. So we've seen that friends going to do the best for other people. You're going to do. You're going to do it. What's going to make that person better? That they're going to have sympathy and compassion for each other. And then a true friend then is going to be honest and truthful. Sometimes you know you make a mistake. Do you always go up to that person honestly, truthfully saying, like we read earlier, you know, you made a mistake. Let me help you through that mistake. Honesty, you're honest with that person. You're honest that, hey, this is what's happening. And you're truthful about it. It's easy to switch things around. You know, we live in society today and, and I think I have a Problem doing that sometimes too. You stretch, you stretch the truth. You know, you can't stretch the truth, but that's what we think. We we want to stretch it. We want to we make it look a little bit better for me. I'm I'm, I'm a little bit better, you know, and I just don't. So I'm going to stretch the truth out. Are you honest then if you do that? Matthew seven, verse twelve. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. If you would like someone to be honest and upfront with you when you make a mistake, or when you're doing things right, if that's what you want, honesty, then we're told here that 
that's what you want to be done to you, do that to somebody else. Treat other people the exact same way. It's hard sometimes to do that, though, isn't it? It's hard to treat them the way you want to be treated because it's easy to fly off the handle like the crow that ate a bunch of prunes, plums, landed on the crank handle, drank the water, and then tried to fly off and couldn't make it. <laughs> it swelled up and he went flop. So it's easy to fly off the handle when you don't know the truth, when you don't know another person's life. Proverbs 11, verse 1. God calls it an abomination to have a false balance. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. So being just and honest and upfront is what God expects out of each one of us. We expect that from God. I was reading, I think it's in... uh, Proverbs 23, I think I was reading there this morning, how God expects us to do the best we can. If your words can hurt other people, if you tell the truth, you prosper. If you tell not the truth, you have difficulties. And so often you find when people tell one lie, and I've been a witness to this, Many times, they tell a lie, and it looks like they're going to get caught. So they tell another one to cover the first, and they tell another one to cover the next, and they tell them, before you know it, they believe what they're saying. i got a brother that he could hardly ever tell the truth. And he never knew when he was telling the truth. He believed what he said, whether it was true or not. So honesty and truthfulness to each other. Now, you can... Say, oh, I seem to make a mistake, but then you try to cover it up by not telling them the truth. And before you know it, you stretch that to another not truth, and you hurt their feelings down the line. Proverbs 12 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the eternal, but they that deal truthfully are his delight. So we got to watch, and I know it's difficult. I have, I have to say, I have to admit, I've got a problem that way, and you can always pray about that too for me. <laughs> it's easy to stretch the truth, but when you understand that there are things that God calls an abomination, you need to realize that it's an abomination, and God will not allow that person to go and be a part of his family because he wants truthfulness and righteousness. In Philippians, Paul tells us the ways to and what to think on. Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. So he gives us a category. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, 
whatsoever things are good report. If there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. That's where our mind should be. So if we're going to be a true friend, a friend that will honor people, then that person is going to have the right thoughts in his mind. Sometimes it's easy to think when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, you know, a rumor of war between North and South Korea, which would bring us into it, Afghanistan, a fight, a war developing, or at least conflict developing over in the Middle East between Israel and Greece and uh, the Arabs. It's easy to get caught up in those things with the economy going down and job loss and uh, just, just every situation to get the wrong things in your mind and thinking the wrong direction. But here we're told there's a different way to think. These things which you have both learned and received and heard and have seen in me do and the God of peace shall be with you. So here Paul said, look at my life. Look what I have done in my life. That's the way you should live your life every day. Thinking on those things that are right. And Paul went through a lot of trials. Really cried a lot. And yet he stayed faithful to the end. And that's what God expects from you, from, from you and me. The fifth point then would be having a mutual understanding. A mutual understanding. You think the same way. Your thoughts, your actions, you understand things the same way. We should be having the same thoughts and understanding. And what God wants us to learn as He teaches us, we should have that same understanding. In Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together except they agree? No. You can't walk as friends unless you agree. It's difficult to disagree on everything. And basically, we agree on what we've been taught. Maybe we have a little bit of personality differences, but basically, in thinking of God's way of life, we agree on the same thing, or we wouldn't be here. So can you be a friend? He's saying, can you, as a friend, walk together? Close friends walk together in this life if you don't agree? John 15, this time verse 13 on 15.13, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Again, and you are my friends if you do what I command you. Again, bringing it out. A mutual understanding. Our understanding has to be we believe what God says. We believe what's being taught by His servants. We agree with God. So we walk together. And we butt heads once in a while. But, you know, true friends, like a family, can work that out because they agree that 
this is the right way to go. In John 14, 21, He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. Do we keep God's commandments? Then we agree with God. We agree with Christ if we're walking together in His commandments. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So we get to understand Christ. We get to see Christ through the Scriptures, through His Word, because we keep His commandments, because Christ calls us His friends. John chapter, 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. So again, emphasizing John here in 1 John, that we need to keep and walk with Christ in our life. Look at Ruth. Ruth wanted to walk with her sister or their mother-in-law. In verse Ruth chapter one verse sixteen, and Ruth said, "Entreat me not to leave you, or to return from following after you. For whether you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God my God." You talk about a friendship that developed there with Ruth and Naomi. It had to be a very, very close friendship. Again, this is what we need to do. This is the way we need to present our life one with another. There are people that we can look back to, people that walked with God. In Genesis 22, we see Enoch walked with God. Why? Because he looked for the best in other people. He looked for the best in Christ. He had empathy and sympathy for what was going on in the world. He had compassion for Christ. He was truthful and honest. And he had a mutual understanding with God. That allowed him to walk and talk with Christ. Because he was that close a friend. Noah was another one that walked with God. He understood what was going on. He understood the problems in the world. He talked with God. He knew the best for the society and for the world around was to build that ark. He knew that God was upset with mankind, so he had sympathy with God who created man, who spent the time teaching them helping them, asking them, showing them. He had compassion for all that Christ went through. And he was honest, telling the people. He, he didn't pull any punches. He told the world. And he had the same understanding that God had. It had to start all over again. And so eight people made it through the flood. Noah walked with God. Abram in Genesis 17:1, said, or God said to him, I know the Almighty God 
walk before me. Of course, he said, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and you shall be perfect. That's what Abraham did. He walked with God. He believed that God was God. I have to say, do I believe that? You know, there's a lot of things in this world that can steer you away from believing that God is God. If you listen to Science Channel, they talk about 300 billion years that this happened and 100 million years that happened and um, they've got these black holes that suck everything up, although they've never seen one. They have no idea what's actually happening, but they can tell you that it's there. They believe it. But they don't believe God. They don't trust God. How about in the church? Do we, as individuals, as people, walk with God on a daily basis? If we do, then in Hebrews 2.11 says, God would not be ashamed to call you brethren. If we walk with God, if our attitude, our thoughts, our actions are all wrapped around doing it God's way, but he's going to be ashamed to call you brethren. He calls you brethren in front of his father. He calls you friends in front of his father. You know, there are ways, though, that we can alienate friends. <laughs> we can drive a friend away. There are things that we do in our life, in our walk, our daily walk, that we can cause people to lose friendship with us or become our enemies if you want it that way. Proverbs 25:17 tells us, Withdraw your foot from your neighbor's house, lest he be weary of you and so hate you. Had that happen once, so I could have been down this line too. Friend that we knew, from Houston, came to visit. I fought for a couple of weeks. But he didn't withdraw his foot from my house after six months. You know, there are times that you run out of friendship, you know. If they're in your house, they're eating your food, occupying everything. You give them things. You tell them how to do it. And they take advantage. So you can alienate a friend. And I told the fella, you know, you can come back, make it several years, that's only for a week, <laughs> because, you know, you, you lose friendship. You lose that close compassion of wanting to help them. Instead of wanting to help them, you say, get out. They actually alienated themselves because of their actions, because of their wearing you down with the way they do things. So yes, it's easy to alienate a friend, isn't it? You can steal. You can lie and cheat. Do a lot of different things. But you don't want to alienate a friend. Proverbs 11, 12. He that is void of wisdom despises his neighbor. So, you know, wisdom... It's something nice to have, 
Sometimes I don't always have it. Don't use it right. But if you don't use wisdom properly, then you despise your neighbor. But a man of understanding holds his peace. Again, <laughs> sometimes difficult. If you're a hothead, I've worked on that for years. You can't hold your peace. And you say things that alienates a friend. You gotta be careful. A talebearer reveals secrets. That'll alienate a friend real quick. You go and tattletale or talebearer or tell untruths or make someone look bad in somebody else's sight. Did you create a friend? No, if they were friends, they're no longer friends. They're not going to be your friend. I mean, if you can't keep a secret, then you're going to destroy a friendship. But he that is of a faithful spirit conceals the matter. So it gives both sides of the coin. Developing a friendship and removing friendship. We started by removing a friendship. But adding a friendship is you conceal the matter. Is that easy? No. Not being a human. But with God's Spirit, it's easy. Because the more you and closer you are with God, the more you fix on God's way of life, the harder it is to reveal secrets. And the easier it is to conceal a matter. Where no counsel is, the people fail, fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So, you want to have a counselor. You want to be able to convey secrets or convey your ideas to other people. If they reveal them, you've lost a friend. you lost that opportunity to be close to someone. But in the multitude of counselors who give wisdom, there's more friendship. Proverbs 17, verse 9. Alienating friendship. He that covers a transgression seeks love. But he that repeats a matter separates very friends. Probably can say close friends. That's happened many times in history. Might have even happened in your life someplace. That you had a matter that was important to you and somebody repeated it and maybe didn't get it exactly right. Maybe they added a little bit to it. Maybe they stretched the truth a little bit. And what happens is you have a created an, an enemy. You created somebody that doesn't want to be around you. So we need to give it a lot of thought of developing a close friendship. There are certain people that we do not want to be friends with. I can tell you that. Really be careful on selecting a friendship in first second Corinthians six fourteen specifically tells us, be you not unequally yoked 
together with unbelievers. So you don't want to get yourself so tied to unbelievers that you're equally yoked with these people. That's somebody you don't want to be your friend. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? Sometimes difficult. I've got a son-in-law. It's very difficult to even talk to him. He's not a believer. He has a lot of wrong ideas. And I don't try to get equally yoked with a man. And what communion has light with darkness? There is no connection there. Light is light and dark is dark. And what accord has Christ with Baal? Do you or does Christ and Satan agree? No. They don't have nothing in agreement. They're not in they're not in accord. They're opposite. And what part has he that believes with an infidel? Well here's people that are that Christ through Paul labeled as infidels. People that have no understanding. They don't understand the truth. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And we know Christ through Paul calls us the temple. So do we have idols? We had a whole series of sermons about idolatry. Pointing out what could be an idol and what's not an idol. We can have a lot of idols in our life. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God walking in us, Christ said, you're no longer servants, but you are friends. If we are friends of Christ and friends of those that have Christ walking in them, then we have true friendship. But if we are aligned with the world, then you're not aligned with Christ. James 4.4 4. Says you adulterer and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? You become the enemy of Christ if we've made the world our friend. The way the world lives its life. We don't want to be that way. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Very plain. You can only be an enemy, a friend of God, or you're going to be an enemy of God. There's no two ways. God, Christ, Emmanuel said, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. If you keep my commandments, if you walk like I walk. I want to be the friend of Christ. I want to be your friend. Would I lay my life down? I believe I would. But I haven't been in that position yet. I can say that, and I love each one of you, and I want to be there at this point in time, I think. I would lay my life down for you. Would you lay your life for me? Would you lay your life for the person next to you? A person behind you? Would you lay your life down 
or your pastor. You know, sometimes we find faults with people and we can get aggravated at them. But are we, are we really friends? Something we need to think about and really analyze in our life. 1 Corinthians <coughs> chapter 5, verse 9. <coughs> I wrote <coughs> unto you in this epistle not to company with fornicators. So there's, you know, that's another person that you don't want to be a friend with. You don't want to be friends of adulterers, fornicators, idolaters, or anyone that is an enemy of God. So Paul gave us a way to ask those that are that way, those that are not walking in that path, gave us a way to tell them they have to leave your presence. So we have an opportunity to be friends. There's one more place that I wanted to bring out that tells you <clears throat> how, who not to be a friend of. And that's again in Proverbs 24, or 22, 24. It tells you, make no friendship with an angry man. If you find people that are angry, hateful, hurtful, do not make yourself a friend of them. And with a fierce man, you shall not go. So you don't want to walk around with these people. So we have ways to become friends. There are things that you can do. Remember, a friend is a friend forever. That is, until you alienate them. But then, a true friend, you might be able to win them back. Take a lot more work the second time than the first time to rebuild that confidence, to rebuild that friendship, to rebuild that love that you once had if you alienate yourself from them. A true friend then loves you all the time, sticks closer than a brother. I've got a close brother way away now. And I can look out in this audience here and see a lot of friends that'll stick closer than a brother did. A true friend then will think of his friends. At that point, remember his friends, find what's best for that friend. Be willing to to take the back seat. Be willing to take the nicks and cuts and bites and, you know, we bite each other with our tongues sometimes, but we get bit or hurt. A true friend will think of the other person. Put them first, above yourself. They're your friend. They're the one you're willing to die for. They're the one that you're willing to go all the way for. A true friend will think of his friends when they're hurting, when maybe they lost a job, maybe they got a back problem or an arm problem, or maybe they're just financially hurting, and help them out. It's easy to 
put yourself in front, but a true friend, to be a true friend. You see them in need. Whatever the needs might be, you're right there to help them out. You will treat them as if it was yourself. You would treat them the way you would like them to treat you. So you have compassion when they're hurting. And you're honest and upfront with every aspect of your life and theirs. You can only be honest if you see them make a mistake. Honesty would go up and say, you're making a mistake. This is the way to go. I love you as a friend, and I don't want to see you fall. And I see this as a mistake based on God's Word. You just can't say you're making a mistake based on my Word. No, is it a mistake based on God's Word and God's way of life? And you have the same understanding. You understand you want, your, you want to be helped, you want to help them. Do you have friends? How close are we to each other? Can we walk together? As Amos said, can two walk together? We try to walk together, and we can walk together. If we follow the principles given, if we reject those principles that will cause enemies, and if we keep our foot from the world, can we walk together?